Welcome back, everyone, to the Chip Lunch Podcast. It is wonderful to have you along with us where you are listening or watching us. doesn't matter. We're great. It's great to have you along with us, and it's great to have two outstanding, excellent people along with me. Uh, Jacob, you're joining us on the podcast today. I am. And Tim Bilhart's our children's pastor at Soul Revival Church. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you, Joel. You're, McMaster. Are you sure? You didn't yes. Sound, you didn't struggle to get that very well out, but you, you made no, it. No, that's just the way my mouth works. <laughs> Doing well, not speaking well. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Brain and mouth disconnect sometimes. Um, now, uh, doing a slightly different Chip Lunch podcast today. Um, if you have looked at the Soul Revival Church newsletter recently, we did um, quite a, a big piece or number of pieces on uh, children's ministry, and that's why we've got you guys on today. Tim, you are a children's pastor here at Soul Revival Church, as I said. Jacob, you are our kids coordinator at Yarrawarra. Yes. Plus many other things. So that's why we have you on as well. But I thought before we start, and we always talk about stories on Chip Lunch, so we thought, we thought we'd start with you guys and your particular story in children's ministry. Uh, who would like to go first? Tim, do you want to go first? As yeah, maybe to go as first. As the um, elder of the group. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, as the old man of the group. Uh, no, also maybe why you got involved in children's ministry mm. when you grew up. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how much of this story I told on um, the first episode of Chip Lunch that I was on. Um, yes, you can go appearance. back to uh, oh. this episode right here. That, oh, uh, Dave put, has put the pressure on Dave. Put, put the pressure on Dave <laughs> to this, episode, this one? episode. Yeah, that one. Not this one. No, no that's <laughs> that a different one. one. That one. Okay. Yeah. Um, to but uh, so I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church regularly. Um, first at Sylvania Anglican Church, and then mid primary school moved to Guymi Anglican Church. Um, and at Guymere, they had programs from uh, sort of you know, preschool, creche, all the way through to year eight. Um, and if you were in year nine in high school and still sticking around Sunday morning like a bad smell, um, they didn't know what to do with you. So they put you into children's ministry and said, oh, you might as well hang out here, which I've said to a number of people is not the best recruitment strategy um, because it actually meant that there were a number of people leading in children's ministry that weren't necessarily even Christians, but they just enjoyed hanging out with others on Sunday mornings. Um, but uh, what it did mean for me is that I got put into um, the preschool room with uh, the beautiful Arnie Bev Croshaw mm -hmm. um, and Leslie Barden, who are both just absolute legends in children's ministry. And they trained me up to um, do children's ministry there. So I've been doing children's ministry since I was 15. Uh, and I'm now much older than that. Um, but it's been a really great joy just to be part of that. So I did volunteer children's ministry for a number of years. Um, also, once I left high school, um, cycled back around into the youth ministry and led a bunch of boys from year seven to year 12, took them on schoolies. And then during that time as well, uh, we got to a place at our church where there was uh, we, we had a staff member move on. Uh, and rather than they employ a new full-time person for their full-time role, they decided to split that money into a number of trainee positions. Um, and so a number of us, I think it was me and maybe uh, Jai McMorty, um, uh, Fee Francesconi, I think, was there during that time as well, um, Matt Redmond. Um, we all kind of ended up on a day or a day and a bit a week um, in different areas, youth ministry uh, for the other guys and children's ministry for me. Uh, and we, yeah, we started being... Um, basically being paid for all the stuff we were already doing anyway because we were all very <laughs> engaged in the ministry. Uh, but, yeah, so I then was on staff at Gaimir for uh, just over seven years um, and then took the opportunity to 
go and work at YouthWorks as a children's ministry advisor, so doing a lot of consultancy with other children's ministers, which I'm still doing now. That's now 10 years later. So this is my 10th year working for YouthWorks. And then the last two years have kind of added on to that, um, helping coordinate the children's ministry here with all the awesome coordinators like Jacob and Alana and others, Katie Croshaw as well. So, yeah, mm. that's kind of my very brief history of children's ministry. <laughs> yeah, one question for you, though, as uh, personally, when you look um, back at your time now when you went through children's ministry, because you grew up in a Christian family, yeah, uh, and uh, as did Jacob, so I'd be keen to get your answer on this too, Jacob. When you look back at it, what is your personal reflection of your experience of children's ministry? What did you like about it and what didn't you like about it? And what Was it helpful? Was it effective? What do you reckon? Yeah, I've only got positive um, memories of children's ministry, um, both at Sylvania and at Guy Um Maybe I'm just not a very critical person, so I just, you know, got some adults that pay you attention and just go, yeah, okay, this is cool. Um, but no, I'd, I think I can look back at both churches and see that there were adults who were intentionally engaged with me, wanted to know who I was, wanted to see me be a disciple of Jesus, even as a young person, um, didn't see children's ministry as something they had to do, but they were really stoked to do and to lead me in that. Um, I was uh, telling the story just before we, we jumped on about when I first arrived at Guy Mir, uh, the very first person to greet me was um, uh, Pete Crawshaw, mm-hmm. who's uh, Stu Crawshaw's dad, mm-hmm. and he was the uh, superintendent of the Sunday school. He was the one in charge, uh, what we would call a coordinator <laughs> now, I suppose. Or a, um, and he greeted me at the door with his massive smiling face. I didn't know mm-hmm. anyone at this church. Um, and as my parents walked me up, he's there and he just said, hey, how you going? My name's Mr. C. You know that because of the shape of my belly. Um, <laughs> and then we would go in and, um, and there was just, it was crazy and it was fun. Um, and this amazing guy out the front would tell us two really important things every week. The first thing he'd tell us every week was the Sheffield Wednesday scores. Um, <laughs> and I, I, we, I can't remember, but it was mid-90s. I don't know if they were in the Premier League at that point. Or, I think they were, yeah. Yeah, so he would tell us the, the Sheffield Wednesday scores and he would tell us how awesome Jesus was and how great it was to be able to follow him as king and saviour and friend. Uh, and so that was really evident. And so, yeah, that was um, yeah, really, really fond memories of children's ministry and the relationships that I had with, with peers and with leaders. Mm. And I'm guessing it had a real impact on you. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, in, in the sense that uh, I, I've gone through all of life just mm. knowing who Jesus is. Um, he was very real and evident in uh, my home, in my school, in my church. And so, yeah, I don't, I know a number of other people's stories um, often reflect back and they see hypocrisy or they see boredom or they then disengagement. Um, I think by God's grace that that wasn't evident. Uh, probably not the case for everyone that went through and had the same experiences that I did in all, any of those spaces. But uh, for me, yeah, it was all it was all really positive and excellent. And uh, I look, yeah, I do look back fondly um, and have wanted to do that for others as well, which yeah. I guess is why I'm in ministry is because I want other kids to to know that they belong to Jesus, they belong to his family in the local church um, and how good it is to be part of that community and how good it is to live life as disciples now um, and to have that sure hope for the future. Mm. Yeah, that's really cool. Jacob, do you have similar experiences in 
growing up in a Christian family, going to different various children's ministries? Um, similar in some ways, different in others. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, for as long as I can remember, I went to uh, Karangbar Baptist Church. Um, I went there all the way up until I was probably 12, 13. Um, and then I came straight here. Um, yeah, I, as I, from when I can remember, um, I remember going through the various stages, being in the different rooms that they had us in. It was a very, very big church, um, even by comparison to here. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, so there's heaps of other kids. Um, but yeah, going through each room and each stage with different people and different leaders, um, and yeah, um, encountering the different challenges that those stages had. Um, I was a very difficult child to, uh, to deal with. <laughs> I had a lot of, uh, behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have ADHD, so I wouldn't sit down for very long at all. Um, Listening to a talk felt like hours, even if it was, (laughs) even if it was 10 minutes or five or two. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So there was a lot of times I felt, um, yeah, I felt like Sunday school um, as it was then was a bit of a a difficult place for me to be. I didn't be a drag. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't love Sunday school uh, at all times. Um, would often hide uh, before church. I remember you saying that on your chip lunch episode, you would like hide so people couldn't find you and yep. take you to kids. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, Dave, you can put the link for that one. Just, just there. <laughs> Don't put it over here with Tim's one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, there was definitely some times of, um, yeah, disconnect with wanting to be there. Um, but in retrospect, um, I realized that it wasn't as bad as I sort of in, like, like in, remembered it. Yeah, yeah, remembered it being. Um, I remember having a lot of fun playing lots of games. Um, I remember learning a fair bit. I remember um, one week, uh, one or two weeks where they did, um, yeah, they said, hey, if you guys want uh, a Bible or if you want to come and pray up the back afterwards, you can come do that. And I remember going, okay, I'll go do that. Um, okay. going and getting myself a little Bible and then coming home being like, mom, dad, look, I got a Bible. And they're like, yep, put it in the collection. <laughs> put it on the Bible shelf. Put it on the Bible shelf next to your six other Bibles, Jacob. <laughs> okay. Um, and yeah, so I remember lots of good things. Um, but I remember still thinking, even as I got older, man, these people must really dislike me because obviously I was so very painful for them. Um, and I remember being so, um, until I remember, um, well, it took many years till, uh, after this, but I remember one of my kids coordinators back then, um, her name was Jackie. She had a, she'd been doing kids ministry at the church for some 30 years or something like that. And was, um, finally passing that mantle on to the next person. Um, and sort of as a, a thank you, they got Jackie up in front of the church and they, you know, gave her flowers and, um, you know, had a, a overview of her time as the coordinator. 
and they got two kids up to do a speech, um, each to just say thank you to Jackie and talk about um, their experiences with her. And of all of the kids that she'd had, of all of the years she'd been doing it for like 35 or something years, um, I was one of two picked, um, which I thought was terrible at the time. <laughs> I thought that was just the worst. Why, like, I don't, I don't wanna have to remember a speech. Ugh. But in retrospect, I realized that, yeah, that was actually her showing that she really loved and cared about all the kids that went through, even the ones that definitely were not as easy as the ones who sat there quietly and did what they were told. Yeah, right. <laughs> mm. And you moving into coordinating kids at Yarrawarra, mm. is it similar to Tim? Is that like that, con that kind of story and experiences that you're talking about, was that one of the reasons why you chose to do that at Yarrawarra? Um, honestly, at Yarrawarra, I... Um, I fell into it backwards. <laughs> to be put, like, it, it feels like classic that, soul revival. <laughs> feels like that should be a really closely connected thing. Um, it's, I would say, it's definitely part of why I enjoy it and mm -hmm. part of why I'm passionate about it. Um, but I, as far as why I got into it, um, everyone else stepped backwards and you were left steady yeah, in the front. Of the yeah, <laughs> my girlfriend was like, "Oh, that sounds like a great thing to do," and I'm like. What? Sure, babe, whatever. <laughs> what? What's happening? And then she's like, yeah, 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 I'm going to coordinate Yarrawarra kids. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to be there this Sunday. I'm like, oh, sick. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I started doing that. Right. Well, how's it going anyway? It's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've got a whole bunch of kids. Um, typically, there's like two families that are um, there almost every week. And then we've got other kids who are coming more um, spread out, but yeah, we're, it's growing and I'm loving, I didn't think I'd be very good at kids ministry. I thought, um, I'd be much better suited and I still occasionally think I'm better suited to youth ministry. Um, but I still love how I'm being challenged to, uh, engage with, uh, kids who are, yeah, I didn't think I'd be, um, able to connect with but I'm actually able to form yeah really close relationships with um, these yeah kids that are heaps different to me and yeah it's really cool to see them grow mm. in um, yeah their understanding of God and their mm. um, their love for him so yeah I'm I'm really loving it no that's that's really cool to hear man um, Tim it's it's probably worth <laughs> when, I was, when we were just figuring out what we were going to talk about on this episode, I said, like, just making a manifesto for how we do Soul Revival Kids. <laughs> um, but I thought it was worth doing, and it's, it's worth probably going in depth into how we actually see, we, we, you know, you've said many times before, we see uh, the children of church is of today, not just of tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important. I really, I really love that myself, especially having three kids myself as well. But is it worth looking back on perhaps the theological and biblical um uh what the in the ways that the ways that the bible informs us how we actually do um kids at Soul revival you've done heaps of work on that 
outside and inside <laughs> inside of Sorrel Bible Church. Do you want to enlighten us there about where there's like some particular verses that you like to, to use mm. in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Do you want to let us know about those? Yeah. So, I mean, as, as evangelicals, we want to be looking in the scriptures and saying, yeah, what do the scriptures have to say here? How do they inform our approach? Um, and so, I mean, there's, there's tons in there, uh, but let's, a couple of really key passages. Um, one is Deuteronomy 6. Uh, and so this is um, Moses giving his last sermons as they, uh, they've they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness um, because of their disobedience, um, uh, leaving Egypt, about to enter the promised land. And here they are on the doorstep of the promised land. Uh, and he's, well, he's about to go and die and, and he's going to pass on to Joshua to lead them in. But he's reminding them of all the things that has happened to them in the Exodus and through their wanderings and the law. And he's setting them up saying, These are the, this is the type of people that you are to be as you go into the promised land. Um, and one of the things that keeps popping up all the way through Deuteronomy is this idea that they are to be generationally faithful um, and that God cares not just about their obedience, but their children's obedience and their children's children's obedience and even beyond that to the generations not yet born. And so that language pops up again and again and again in Deuteronomy. And so Deuteronomy 6 is one of the, the kind of key ones here. Um, and so Moses says, you know, these are the commandments. He's just recited the, four, uh, the Ten Commandments and a number of the other important laws. It says, these are the commandments, decrees and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you and to observe in the land that you are crossing over the Jordan to possess so that you and your children and their children after them mm. may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy a long life. So what I really like there is the fact that you know, God has this um, passion for their grandkids that are not yet born. Um, and so I think I find that really encouraging. Sometimes uh, people talk about how as humans we're always looking for a bigger story to be a part of. Mm. Um, and the fact that, you know, Joel, God cares about your obedience as a disciple of Jesus because of your kids' kids who are mm. not yet born and, you know, your kids' kids' kids who you will probably not even meet this side of new creation. You know, mm. but God cares about your obedience now and because of that. And I think that's really beautiful that that does capture us in this big story, captures that imagination. Um, but how are they to do that? Um, so uh, he talks about, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children. Uh, so uh, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, buy them on your forehead, Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Um, and again, I could unpack this for hours and having sermons and things. But uh, <laughs> two quick things. Firstly, he's talking to all of Israel, um, which I think is important because when we talk about children's ministry as being something that the whole church is engaged in, um, here we've got all of Israel and he's saying, you're all part of this. You're all caught up in this. He doesn't sort of just take the parents aside for a little parenting seminar <laughs> on a Wednesday afternoon and say, all right, guys, this is just for you. It's like, no, no, no. As a whole faith community of the rescued people of Israel, you are all caught up in what it means to pass on to the next generation. So there, there is a big picture here, which I think is really significant. The other thing is just the... Uh, what we as our revival, our language is low key and relational, but that what comes out in verse seven and eight is the low key relational way in which you pass on these things. So when you sit at home, when you walk, hmm. walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, 
um, just always, all the time, you're all just talking life, about these yeah. things. Yeah, it's an mm. all of life thing. So, um, you know, passing on the gospel to the next generation is not just, you know, for half an hour on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday morning or whenever we do kids ministry. Um, it's all of life. And it's even if you are doing it at home, it's not just saying grace and maybe write, reading a Bible verse around the dinner table, as awesome as that is, but it's all the time. Uh, we were just joking this morning. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was now. Zali asked some question and I answered, you know, well, Jesus says, yeah, whatever it was, whatever the context was. Um, and uh, Roz called out from the other room, my wife, she just goes, oh, it's always good to start the morning with a sermon. Um, <laughs> but it was just part of this, I hadn't intended to do this, you know, Zali's in the middle of brushing her hair or tying her shoelaces or something, but it was just, it was just natural for us to have mm. a conversation that related back to Jesus and how he wants us to live as his disciples. And that's the kind of thing he's talking about here. Um, so that's really significant as I think about what does it mean to raise children as disciples of Jesus? That's really key. Um, the other big one in the Old Testament is Psalm 78. Um, and this is a really long psalm, but it starts by talking about, um, my people hear my teaching, listens to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things from of old. Uh, and then skipping down to verse five, he decreed statutes, that's commands, laws for Jacob. He established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. Um, and so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, so that they will tell their children. So you can see there some of the same themes as Deuteronomy 6. He's got this multiple generation, and this has been written um, by Asaph, who is multiple generations. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many generations between Deuteronomy and Asaph, but you know, he's, there's a big gap here. Um, if you know your Old Testament, you know there's all ups and downs in the faithfulness of Israel, etc., but again, you've got this constant reminder, keep making sure that your children know about Jesus um, or the, the, the great rescue that God has done. And that's what the rest of the psalm goes on. It talks about the great rescues um, of the Bible so far, um, particularly coming out of Egypt, um, so that you will keep passing it on and they pass it on and they pass it on. So there's this multiple generational thing, which highlights the importance of having really excellent uh, ministry to children, our own children in our families, the children in our community, um, and to the children who are living in our wider local communities that don't yet know Jesus, helping them to know um, who this God is that has loved them, made them, and died on the cross and risen again so that they could be part of his kingdom. So just that, that's a really beautiful part of the Old Testament. So mm. they're, they're the two key ones that I go to in the Old Testament, but it is threaded right throughout Um I'll stop sermonising for a second, see if you, got any, or if you guys have any thoughts or questions. Well, you're just talking about um, it's important. These, these verses that you've talked about <coughs> shows how important it is to have excellent children's ministry. That was something you said. What's the danger in not having excellent children's ministry, do you think? Yeah, there's... Um, a, maybe not a danger, <coughs> a shadow or a, a, a warning sign. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, if Proverbs 22 talks about if you train up a child in the way they will go, um, then when they grow old, they will not depart from it. It's a slight paraphrase, but that's the, the guts of it. Um, and uh, there's a, the famous um, church, his, uh, church history figure whose name is escaping me right now, but it talks about how, you know, um, give me a child until seven and, you know, I've set them up for the rest of my life kind of thing. I think it's a, a Jesuit, Jesuit 
minister or something. Um, but this idea that what you learn in your childhood is massively significant for how you then shape your values, beliefs, um, understanding of the world. Uh, and so I've, I've had um, distant family members like, you know, second cousins or my mum's cousins or those kind of things who um, will say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we didn't take our kids to church. We want them to make those decisions for themselves when they grow up. Um, but actually what the research will show is by not teaching kids about uh, Jesus young, um, you actually are teaching them about Jesus. You're teaching them that he's irrelevant. You're teaching them that church is irrelevant. Um, and they, it's not that it's impossible to become a Christian when you're an adult, um, but statistically significant that the majority of people who become Christians do so in their childhood or adolescence. Uh, and that is because they, they are the times where, by God's good design, people are forming their opinions and values and knowing what they want um, and who they are and, and what greater story and greater narrative that they are a part of. Um, and so not having excellent ministry to children that actually helps them to become disciples of Jesus and honours them as young people able to have a discipleship and able to have living faith um, puts in danger, you know, that they're, again, it's hard to say that they're less likely. Like by God's good design, he wants us to pass on. And and God's regular rhythm is um, that faithful parents are passing on the gospel to faithful children. And you've also got a missional edge out to those who are not yet Christians. And so that's, Mm. um, you know, Jacob and my story should be the usual story for Christian families. Um, that you're, you're told about Jesus by your parents, that you're um, enveloped into a faith community and that as you grow up, you grow into increasing maturity and ownership and belonging um, of that faith for yourself um, and as you express that. So um, yeah, we've often talked about, uh, I know on the Chip Lunch podcast, talk about different people's stories and some people are like, oh, I feel like I've got a boring story. Mm. It's like, no, no, no. Um, by God's good design in the scriptures is that Jacob and my stories is the usual story. That is exactly how God wants families to work. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly how he wants his church to grow. Um, uh, that, and of course, mission. But yeah, this should be the normal story. This should be you know, the story we all hope for for all of our kids, um, that they're in Christian homes, learning what it means to be a Jesus follower from very, very young, brought up in a faith community, and then increasingly grow into maturity into what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a bit of a dream as a, well, I'm a father of three children now, but like having lots of grandchildren around me and like being like the old <laughs> old guy who like, you know, just is a is a some kind of Christian influence on their lives. In yeah. Ways. And I think that's really a really important way and a better, a better way of describing it than I just did. It's just the way I think about it. <clears throat> Jacob, just hearing what uh, Tim says about those those verses and stuff like that, mm. as a sorrow of a kid's coordinator now, do you find that a little bit daunting or like because it is that important or like or encouraging what's your kind of reaction to what Tim was talking about um it's it is daunting there's in the sense that um you know as as Tim says not on the bible passages but um you know statistically children are um you know between you know, early childhood and adolescence is when you are most likely to come to or fall out of faith. 
Um, and so, you know, the work of um, children's ministers, youth ministers, young adult ministers is very important because um, it's, yeah, for a people at such a critical time in their lives. Um, so, yeah, there is certainly a sense to which it is, um, yeah, it is daunting um, if you think about it like that. Um, however, um, I guess we just rely on God's uh, design and his goodness, uh, faithfully serve him in in our ministry, mm. do the best um, that we can with God's help um, and know that that will be enough because it's according to yeah God's design. Mm. He's brought those kids along for you and just going to yeah. do the best there. Mm. I Honestly, if uh, yeah, God can make a donkey talk and have people <laughs> believe from that, I'm, you know, I, I you're pretty close to a donkey. I, <laughs> I, I might be pretty close to a donkey, but I feel like at least a small step up. And so, you know, yeah. he could do that with a donkey. He could maybe do something a little better with me. Yeah, you never know. I like that. That's cool, but that's a cool way of thinking about it, though. Um, my uh, uh, next question was kind of like uh, we're talking about the importance of children's ministry and doing excellent ministry. You guys have got different experiences, different churches. Tim, you've obviously been to a lot of churches with your, your work at YouthWorks. Do you find that some churches do put children's ministry kind of on the back burner and don't see it as important? Oh, I mean, obviously it's a mixed bag. Mm. Um, mm. And there's lots of, there's lots of different, um, yeah, lots of different expressions of that. Um, I, I think that in our in our tribe, um, yeah, Sydney Evangelical, Sydney Anglican churches, we have a pretty high view of ministry to children and youth. Um, we do have really significant numbers of staff members, um, paid vocational workers across our churches. Um, even the smaller churches uh, would love to have the finances to put on vocational children's youth ministry, even if they can't afford it right now. Um, so there is, uh, I think there is a strong desire to have really good, healthy children's and youth ministry. Um, we have a vocational college, YouthWorks College, uh, where Jacob's studying at the moment, where I lecture, um, which trains up people for vocational ministry. And we have people constantly being sent to learn how to be children's and youth ministers. Um, so I, I think by by comparison with other places in um the world, other denominations, even within mm. Sydney, we have quite healthy um, youth and children's ministry. And I think that's also reflected by the number of children and youth that we have in our churches um, across um, Sydney Anglicans generally. Um, we have really good training. We've got some great legacy um, people uh, who have been in roles similar to mine for many generations uh, that have helped equip churches. So uh, I don't, I, I think we were in a really, really healthy place. There's lots of really great things there. Um, obviously as someone who's passionate for children's <laughs> ministry, yeah, there's always things we can tweak and improve. And I guess that's part of my role is to be an advocate for children's ministry um, in the diocese and to be able to say, um, hey, this is good. Let's keep pushing forward to do better. Um, and, you know, like anything else, with, with the number of people you work with, there are sometimes there's frustrating stories where you feel like someone hasn't taken children's ministry as seriously or you're constantly mm. trying to reshape their vision of children's ministry and what they, they think it is. Um, 
And so, yeah, that's part of my work. And we'll get to later a recent article I wrote about, you know, what do we do? Are we missing church when we um, do Sunday ministry with, with kids? And so, yeah, that's, that's another, like I'm just constantly trying to chip away at helping people to think um, big thoughts about children's ministry. Um, but, yeah, I think generally speaking, we're in a really, really healthy place, um, even though there are still constantly messages and attitudes that we're trying to help sharpen and, and push people further on and encourage them into deeper thinking. What's the, um, the greatest pushback that you think you get when you're talking about, just in general terms, what's the, what's the go-to argument when, someone, when you're encouraging someone to change their view or perception around children's ministry? What would, what would be the most common pushback to that? Yeah, um, <coughs> for uh, a number, so some people, it might be that it's 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 good that we have good children's ministry, but it's not the main game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it might not be the highest priority. So that would be uh, something that I would keep having conversations about. Uh, sometimes there's opinion that we want excellent children's ministry so that families come to our church because we want adults in our church, because they're financially contributing to the church. Um, And so that, I think, kind of gets um, the cart before the horse kind of Mm. thing that, you know, uh, and I got told this a number of years ago um, by someone who was like, oh, I'm really thankful for the ministry you're doing, Tim, because families and adults want to come to our church because there's good children's ministry. Um, And I'm like, and I, I don't think I had the language at that point to express why that made me feel a bit uneasy, but it made well, you me feel... You probably had some kind of language in your head, but... Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I just... I, I was, wasn't a big good out loud. Well, maybe. I just thought, I was, oh, there's something not quite right about that. Yeah, I, I can't I quite... So. What do I, how do I articulate that? Um, and what I, how would I articulate that now, many, many years later, is to say, oh, yeah, because children are not... It's, it's not a utilitarian ministry. Like, we don't, mm. we don't do good children's ministry so that adults come to our church. Yeah. Um, we do good children's ministry because children are genuinely disciples of Jesus or can be genuinely disciples of Jesus. They can have genuine faith. And I want to see them be the best possible disciple of Jesus that they can be and help them walk through what it means to be an eight-year-old who is going through the COVID lockdowns or going through the heights of having you know, really excellent friendships or mm-hmm. the downside of being bullied at school. And I want them to be someone who knows how to live as a disciple of Jesus in all of those moments. So I want excellent children's ministry for that. Um, now, we do know that parents will choose a church because based on children's ministry. So mm-hmm. this is a you know, thing that we, kn- we know from research. Um, and even if parents don't like the church for themselves, they'll often put up with not liking a church if they think their children are enjoying their children's ministry. Mm. Uh, Because, um, and it's kind of, you know, typical thing with adults and and parents is kind of like we we put aside some of our own preferences for the sake of our children. Um, And so I think that excellent children's ministry does have a flow-on effect that we do often see parents and families and others engaging well with the church. Um, but the way it was expressed to me at that moment was, no, no, it's good to have this because our primary objective is getting adults in church mm. and this is an attractional thing to get good adults in church. And, yeah, my uncomfortableness at the time, which I now have language to express, is, no, no, you've, you've got that backwards. Um, 
I want excellent children's ministry because I want to see excellent disciples of Jesus um, who are six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. Yeah, and who also turn into adults later. <laughs> well, of course <laughs> they, they do, but, they? That, they but that's up. not the point. Like, yeah, no, you know, it's not. But I mean, it is, but it's like we, I have a long-term vision for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Bible has a vision for their great-grandkids that yes. they'll never meet. Yeah. So, yes, I mean, uh, we are thinking generationally, mm. um, but we don't often – yeah, that, that's, that's one of those pushbacks that I might get uh, or sometimes feel – is, is being expressed, is that it's mm. not real ministry. Um, the other one, and uh, I think I talked about this in a sermon a couple of weeks back, is uh, after children's ministry sometimes talked about as um, uh, seed ministry, like you just, you're planting seeds. And the insinuation is often that uh, you plant seeds now because much later you get to see the plant. Mm. Um, and again, there's a little bit of me like, hey, I get that. Like, you know, child faith is different to teenage faith and adult faith. Mm. Um, and it is true by God's good design that adolescence, particularly sort of year seven, eight, nine, just because of what's happening psychosocially for them in their identity of self, um, are having those moments where they realise I need to take this on for myself. Mm. And so you do, even from kids from Christian homes, will have significant moments and conversations in those years, seven, eight, nine, ten years, where they will take on the faith for themselves. And sometimes we'll use the language of becoming Christians. And I'm not too fussed about that. But I also think um, that kind of language also betrays the fact that sometimes we don't think of children as genuine disciples. We think of them as this, it's this seed planting ministry and isn't it great that one day they'll become Christians? It's like, no, I actually don't believe that should be the case. Actually, again, they are Christians. They do have faith. They do have saving faith. Um, they just, we grow up and have an increasing understanding of what that means and an increasing commitment that I'm going to continue to take that on for myself. Yeah. Well, and you also spoke um, just then about generationally and also in the Bible verses that we talked about before. And intergenerational ministry is something that's really important to us here at so revival and a, a way we like to express church. I was going to ask you, Jacob, uh, mm. whether it's been when you were growing up uh, through children's ministry or in your experience with leading children's ministry, has there been a time where you think that you've either listened to the kids or felt listened to? Because that's what we were also talking about is uh, they have a chance to speak up to us and we learn from them. That's something that we try we try to express here at So Revival. So I was just wondering, you've got any examples of when that's actually happened for you either leading or being um, i mean you were asked to do a speech about um the children's ministry the person that worked in children's ministry for a long time for example yeah um that was yeah that was certainly a, a moment where i was um being listened to on yeah in front of well the entire church um mm which was a lot as a, however old I was, probably nine or something. Um, but um, the one that stood out to me as you're asking the question um, actually occurred really recently. <laughs> um, I've been sort of doing um, ministry with youth age kids for a fair while. I only think I got to the church here in 2013 and then I started with year five and six in 2014. So 2015, 2016 is when I would have started youth ministry. Mm. Um, and 
yeah, so I've been doing youth ministry. I've been doing youth talks for a fair while. Um, but starting kids ministry, I didn't have any idea and still don't have a great idea of what to do with kids talks. <laughs> okay. Um, and I had a chat with um, a couple of um, a couple of the kids after one of the talks, um, one of the talk times during the chill session, about what they did and didn't like. Because um, I tried a different, a couple different um, methods of doing a kids talk, and which ones they did and didn't like. <laughs> um, and what they do and don't like about the talk time. Um, and yeah, got uh, some very helpful feedback from young girl named Penny, young girl named Dulcie. Um, <laughs> two Dul- sisters. Yeah, two sisters. Just gang up on you. Yes, they did. Um, but, you know, I did, I, I asked for that. So that's kind of fair. Uh, but yeah, they're like in year four and kindergarten and like they were able to express how they felt um and what they i was able to ask you know what did you remember from each of them and got more they got more out of some of the talks than others and so i was able Mm. to actually use that um to yeah change how i think about um yeah faithfully presenting god's word uh, to them um yeah i think that was just something really helpful and massively helped with my skill set yeah even though it was being taught to me by a young girl in kindergarten yeah is that how it's meant to work do you think tim just it, it's just one way of intergenerational ministry um happening yeah i mean there's lots of ways that we can express it but yes the listening to kids getting their I think you know, being brave enough to get their feedback is a great example. Um, <laughs> is really good, um, and the fact that you have then shaped your ministry based on the feedback you got from kids mm. um, is really wonderful. I just think that that is absolutely. I mean, that um, uh, you know, with our other podcast, the Shock Absorber podcast. That's that whole idea of the Shock Absorber. We're actually yeah. allowing the young people to speak up to us and to shape how we do ministry based on you know thoughtful engagement with their particular opinions um and now obviously there, there is also outside of that we've got the scriptures which give us a uh, an external paradigm uh, and, and i take it that if the kids said hey i reckon we should uh, not open the bible and we should just eat m&ms um and that could be our kids talk especially in the morning when the <laughs> there, there was a suggestion um that we not do a talk <laughs> from one of the boys who was running past at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Yeah. We might not change that one. <laughs> we, I might keep the talk, yeah. but thank you. <laughs> and, and that's where we, we then, and that's where like the shock absorber model is, there is a strength to the chassis of the car mm. that is also imparting itself on the flexibility of the shock absorber. Um, and that's where as you, the, the leaders um, are not being passive in an intergenerational space, they still have leadership. Um, it's just that they're being open to conversation. So as you have that conversation and they say, hey, we'd rather if there wasn't a talk, you go, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Let's talk about that. Let's find out why you think that, what is it that's going on? Um, but there will be a point where you say, well, actually, um, one of the really important things we do together as God's people is to open the Bible and read it 
and find out what God, how God wants us to live as his disciples. Um, and so uh, great suggestion. I'll take on board some of the reasons you might not like how we currently do talks, perhaps, and I'll think about that. Um, but actually opening the Bible together when we gather is a non-negotiable. So we're going to do that in some way mm. um, because it's important for us to keep together as God's church, thinking about how do we read the Bible, know God more, love him more and obey him more. And so that's really central to what we do. What else um, are examples of, of kind of intergenerational ministry in regards to children uh, playing out? Um, I remember there was a story, we, we remember we did season three of the Shockers all we did on intergenerational ministry and you shared that story of one of the boys at, um, I, I think it was a boy, Leave that. <laughs> I hope I've got that right. But they said that they um, went to their teacher and said that one of their friends was pregnant and the, the teacher became really worried. Do you want to just yeah. tell that story? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a number, number of years ago um, and, and all of these people are still at our church. I won't name and shame any of them. But um, uh, someone who is now much older, at the time in primary school, um, and heard that their leader was expecting a baby um, and was really excited for them, went to school and said, oh, my friend is uh, expecting a baby. And yes, the, the, the primary school teacher had no context for this, mm-hmm. um, which yeah, we'll all know when you talk to primary school kids, often they'll give us information without context. <laughs> yep. um, and so they're trying to work this out and, and got concerned, rang up uh, the parent and said, look, uh, really this, it's really weird for a, a four-year-old, or uh, sorry, year four or year five kid <laughs> to have a pregnant friend. Like I'm just trying to work <laughs> out what's, what's going on here. Uh, and the parent was able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, their friend is this person in their mid-30s who is their um, kids' church leader. Um, and, yes, we do talk about each other as friends. And so in our context, in an intergenerational context, um, even within our children's ministry, it's not uh, this really strong differentiation between, well, no, I'm the teacher in the room and you are the student in the room. Uh, it's like, no, no, we're friends together. Um, and when it comes to living the Christian life, there are more experienced friends than others. There are people who have uh, read the Bible more, have more life experience, um, have more mature understandings. And so they bring all of that with them. Um, and the children bring a whole lot of things with them as well, um, which we can talk about in a bit. Like Jesus talks about the importance of um, listening to children. Um, but when we come into that space, we are friends. Like genuinely, I think of the, um, the six and uh, six-year-olds as my friends. Um, and so I treat them as I would my friends. Like I have similar conversations to the children in our church, even the really young ones, than I would with you guys. Like when we see each other at church, hey, how was your week? Tell me about it. What, what went on? What excited you? What made you sad? Um, you know, and then genuinely listening to them. Um, just like I would genuinely listen to either of you guys as we, if we had dinner together. Uh, if I'm sitting at the breakfast table and there's an eight-year-old opposite me, I'm genuinely engaging with them. Like, so in that sense, there's a levelling of it, um, of the relationships, so that we are genuinely friends. And so I think that's part of that intergenerational um, space is that um, when, I, when I have a conversation with an eight-year-old, when I have a conversation with a 28-year-old, and when I have a conversation with an 80-year-old, they're, they're very similar and I come to them with a very similar attitude um, in terms of these are my peers um, uh, and these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, all made in the image of God. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and what about, can you clarify just if people are listening to this and they, um, they're they aware of what we do at Soul Revival Church is that at five o'clock 
oh sorry, I should say at the Saturday night service, for example, it works differently in all our different gatherings. But at five o'clock in the afternoon, um, the children go on to their to a teaching time. And at five thirty p.m., there's a there's a there's what we call kids chill while the rest of the gathering is on. Yep. Um, some people might be hearing us and then saying, "Well, why do we, why do we, why do they go to a different area? Isn't that, is that maybe a little bit at odds with what we're talking about about all, all doing it all together?" Mm. I'd just be interested in what your response would be to that because we still do have the kids in the main gathering sometimes for particular things, um, but there's also a, is there a developmental argument if that's why they they, they go so. The, uh, perhaps this, the sermon isn't probably at their age appropriate level, so that's why we have the teaching time separate. Yes, there's a few different things going on there. Um, so most of the churches that I talk to, when we start having this conversation about um, intergenerationality and what it means to have sort of an all-age, all-stage expression, uh, the, the default is to think, okay, we'll have the kids in the main gathering for some of that time. Um, and it might be singing songs together, it might be doing a kid's spot, it might be doing prayers together, um, those kinds of things. Uh, and so that is, that is a common way of expressing some sort of intergenerationality. Um, and I'm, I'm all for that. If churches do that, I'll encourage them to do that to the best of their abilities and to have you know, really effective um, all-age, all-stage expressions in those moments. Um, at our church, we have not chosen to do that. We have sort of flipped it a little bit um, in that we do have um, the kids in their own programs. Um, and during that time, as you said, Joel, there's, each of our gatherings are a little bit different to each other in how they express this, mm. but all of them have two main components. One is there's a teaching time where you're actually opening the Bible and you're reading, you're praying, uh, you maybe do some singing. Um, and so you have time where you're uh, praising God, praying to God, listening to God's word together. So that's really key. And we have particular people who uh, their role description is that they're child, children's teaching team. Um, and that's really significant because, as I said before, we, we always want to be doing that in all of our gatherings. So the kids are meeting around the word of God. Uh, the other bit, which is equally important for us as a church, is what we call chill time. Um, and again, it's expressed a little bit different in each of our gatherings, but it's really, really important. This is a completely non-programmed uh, relational hangout time. Um, and it's really purposeful. Uh, if you came and visited, you might look at it and look like it was accidental or because we were twiddling our thumbs, not sure what to do with our kids. But it's super, super intentional that we actually have time where we're just relating to each other as friends. Um, and what we have at all of our services, all of our gatherings, is um, teenagers and adults from that gathering who we um, equip to be chill leaders. Um, and what that means is you're different to a teaching leader. You're not responsible for opening the Bible and communicating it to kids and leading them in prayer and praise. Um, that's, that's not their role. Um, their role is to be a friend of kids. Uh, and that's it, mm. which is in one way really, really simple um, because all you have to do, and the other thing we do in that time is we let the kids lead uh, what they want to do. So we say, hey, what do you guys want to do? We want to go play soccer. Okay, cool. Let's go play soccer. I've, so, I've made a lot of train tracks. You've made a lot of train tracks, yeah. I've like, also made a lot of train tracks. Yeah. yeah. Very popular. <laughs> I want to say a big thank you to um, Ruben 
and his kids for those train tracks. Yes, they do. They do. Yeah, they, they love really the train tracks. Love. You can tell <laughs> their dad's an engineer. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the kids are helping lead that time because they get a bit of autonomy and leadership over that. Um, but the friendship part is really, really important. Yeah. Um, and because what we're doing there is we're actually inviting adults from our church into the children's space. So the other way of doing it, as I said, is, is you get the kids into the main gathering for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a certain sense where the kids are being the guests in the adult space and you accommodate for them and you try and do the best you can to help them feel included and it's, it's, a, part, it's a space for them as much as for the adults. Um, but largely the kids are the guests because they're the ones that then leave um, while the adults stick around. Um, what we're doing with Chill and with our kids program is we're saying the kids have this space and we're inviting adults in to be the guests. So the kids have an ownership. They're the, almost the hosts of these rooms. Um, and the adults come in as guests and they get to participate in the friendships of the children that already exist there. Um, so part of that is you're outnumbered by the kids. Like there are more of them than you are of the, <laughs> yeah, uh, than there are of the adults. Um, and so there's, um, there's an ownership there that they get to um, have that space. We're coming in as their guests. We're letting them to set the culture. Uh, or not set the culture as much. We're letting them set the activities and have some of those conversations. Um, but also we, we want to genuinely get to know them. Um, and again, this is really purposeful. Uh, one of the things we know from um, some research coming out of uh, Fuller Youth Institute in the States, they have a book called Sticky Faith, which is excellent. One of the things that they did was they studied the difference between young adults who had grown up in the church and left the church and young adults who had grown up in the church and were still sticking with the church. And one of the most significant markers that you could identify between those that stayed and those that left was those that stayed had um, five intergenerational relationships with people who were not their parents. Mm -hmm. So they were known, genuinely known, by about five um, adults in their church. And so what we're trying to build in our chill time is the ability for our kids to look around the church and see, actually, there's tons of people here who know me. Um, And so they walk in the building and they go, oh, there's so-and-so. At the moment, they're making coffee, but they played trains with me last week. Mm. And there's, oh, so-and-so. Oh, yeah, I really play, we played Uno together. Oh, and that was the person who kicked the soccer ball around with me. His name was, oh, what was his name again? Oh, that's right, it was Joel. (laughs) And so the the kids walk in and they feel that they have, um, they, they belong. There's a real deep sense of belonging to this community of faith because what we've done is, slowly and, and safely, we do all safe ministry training and all that, but we slowly and safely introduce them to little small batches of adults um, all the time that can get to know them. Uh, and so they're growing in their ability to know the people of their church and to have safe relationships with the people in their church, so for the sense of belonging. And that relational time is really key, and that's why it's important that it's not programmed time, um, is because the, the lack of a program actually allows you to go into the relational conversations um, and of course, the kids are around for our meal times, so you can you could choose to sit with kids during the meal times if you wanted to, or invite them to come and sit at your table. Or, yeah, you've got ways in which you can engage there, but that's really really key. I was just thinking before I hand back to you guys. There's a, a ch- church I was training a little while ago. Um, 
and was training the children's ministry leaders and I put up a whole bunch of questions uh, on the screen and it was things like, you know, uh, pick a child in your church. What's their name? What's their age? What school do they go to? How many siblings do they have? Uh, what's the name of their pet? Where do they recently go on holidays? Um, what's their favourite TV show? You know, all those kinds of things. Uh, and they all kind of looked at this list and go, how would we know that? Right. Like, and, and one of the comments was, we don't have time to have those conversations. Because we program it out. So because all of, our, all of the moments with their kids mm. were highly programmed. Right. Um, and I said, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? When we, when we program out to every minute of our children's ministry is program, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this. And all of that are adult-led things for, towards the kids then we, we don't have that space. And so for those who listen to maybe some of the really early episodes of the Shock Absorber podcast, you remember we talked about third place theory, which is a really significant part of how we organise our church. And one of those things there is that you have these low-key environments where relationship conversation um, is the main game uh, and one of the main things you're doing. No, sorry. I was, <laughs> I was just thinking then, like, that's just really cool. Um, I did mention how it kind of works on Saturday night, but um, is it slightly different on at Yarrawarra, Jacob? Yes. It's different. It, it's slightly smaller church. It is a smaller church. Um, Sorry, I should say a smaller gathering. It's still part of Sorrowville Church. <laughs> yes. It, yeah, it is a smaller church gathering. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously um, the chill that happens here, we have quite a number of kids. Um, so there's a teaching time and then um depending on who's on um you know there's a chill leader who'll come in and occasionally one of the people from the teaching time who usually weren't the teacher but someone who was there will stay so that way there's a constant person for the kids um whereas because um well especially Yarrawarra um one week recently we had just by fluke a bunch of the families were sick or out or something so we had myself alana and um one of the young boys and that was that was it so it was just us three mm. and we sat in the room and we played you know and they ganged up on me <laughs> um, and that was devastating. <laughs> you keep getting ganged up on here at Yarrawarra, don't you? Yes, well, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so it fluctuates because then on another week um, we have like a whole bunch of families. Um, we've got quite a few families where kids come between houses on like alternating uh, weeks yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. and so we can get like one week where there's you know, four kids, and the next week we'll have two from this family, two from there, one from here, three friends from over there, and all of a sudden it's Alana and I standing in a room of a whole bunch of kids, and we're like, oh dear, <laughs> we only have one set of you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, I guess we don't change between the um, teaching leaders and chill members because there's just the two of us mm. um that's one thing we've kept constant thus far although we're looking to um we are looking to get some build up the team yeah build up a team and get the other members of the church because we yeah we do believe that actually 
it's not just about having someone who's willing to go and babysit. Mm. It's actually about these are members of your church just as much as any other adult who rocks up and pays for coffee and breakfast yep. on, at Yarrawarra. Um, so, you know, why wouldn't you go and talk to them? You do for every other adult. Um, yeah, so we believe, like, we're trying to get some um, people to, yeah, come and join the, the team. If someone um, was feeling, like, called to be part of the team but they're a little bit hesitant, what would you say to encourage them? Do it. um i would say come and talk to um well talk to one of the pastors talk to tim um if someone specifically at yarrawarra come talk to me and talk to alana um i go to youth works i'm very passionate about um yeah youth and children's ministry feel free to come talk to me Mm. and i'll (laughs) Talk your ear off uh, yeah. until you... I'll talk you into it. I'll talk you into it or at least keep talking until you tell me to shut up yeah. and that you'll join. Um. Yeah. <laughs> but is it like, Tim, is it a... Uh, you said you've written an article around um, are you missing church when you're doing children's mm. ministry? Do you think that's something that's holding some people back from getting involved in kids' school or, they, or is it uh, just more of a not, not sure what kids' school means? Oh, well, I mean, I think there might be a number of reasons going on. But mm. one of the things, and this is uh, not just at our church, but uh, the article that I've, I've written, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but it came out of a conversation that I had with a, a children's minister a number of weeks back now. We had a, a long coffee together. And one of the questions he was asking, because he runs all of, even the teaching team runs off mm. a, a bit of a roster system. So you do a couple of weeks on, number of weeks off. And he was just trying to work out what the balance was, um, given that all of his team were on some sort of roster. They were all kind of parents or other adults. Um, he didn't have a consistent group of leaders um, to do the teaching. Was He was trying to work out how regularly can I roster someone onto children's ministry. And we talked about that for a while, but what I realised as the conversation went on was that wasn't really the question. The question was how many weeks is it okay to ask someone to miss church Right. in order to be in children's ministry. And when we diagnosed that that was actually the, com- the question he was asking and the question that people were thinking about, when they were asked to be on the rostering team, and it would be the same for our church, for Chill, um, if you're asked to be on Chill, uh, I think the automatic thought is, oh, so I have to miss church once a term, once a month, once a whatever it is, um, in order to hang out with the kids. And that sparked my imagination because all of a sudden I'm thinking, are you missing church mm. when you do children's ministry, whether it be a chill capacity or whether as another church you're on a rostering system? Um, and again, kind of like my conversation a number of years ago, there was something that in the immediate moment I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that, but I don't know why. Mm. I've got to think a bit more about that. Uh, and as I thought about it more, and we talked about it in this this long conversation that we had, was, well, actually, it depends what you think church is. Yeah. Um, and it depends what you think children's ministry is. Um, and the children's ministry part, I think, is one of the most significant because what do we think is going on with children's ministry? Uh, and this probably pulls out some of those um, hidden assumptions that you talked about earlier, Joel, that what do people think is going on with children's ministry? Well, yeah, might be there's some pushback. Um, you know, sort of a, a real crass version might be you just think children's ministry is babysitting, um, in which case if you're having to miss church in order to roster 
and babysit the kids, well, that can be a bit frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. And so that would be a legitimate concern. Like, yeah, I don't think I can ask someone to miss church, the gathering of God's people to meet around his word, to pray and to praise and to listen to the scriptures together um, in order to babysit kids. Um, yeah, I'm really uncomfortable with asking someone to do that because I don't think that is a good use of their, you know, their, their time as a church together. That's Mary and Martha all over. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you're asking them to, to wait on tables while mm. they should be sitting at the feet of Jesus. <laughs> um, and you're just like, yeah, I don't know. That's, that makes me really uncomfortable. Um, there might be some people who have that opinion and definitely would like to have a good chat with them and have a good cup of coffee and sort of help break down that thought. Um, but then there's another thought which is honourable um, but still a little bit misguided, which is why I kind of wrote this article. Um, and that is that um, when we go into children's ministry uh, and we spend time in chill or on the roster, that this is a ministry to children um, rather than a, an opportunity to, to minister and to gather with children. Mm. And I think that makes a significant difference. Mm. Um, so there's one author or one, one bunch of authors who write a book called Children Matter. Um, and one of the things they talk about uh, in the, I think it's the first chapter of that book, is your metaphor shapes your ministry. So what metaphor are you coming with when you do children's ministry? And one metaphor, which is very prevalent, I think, in our circles, um, is you have this schooling metaphor. Um, and of course, we actually have the connection with Sunday school, like that yeah, very intentional connection to a schooling kind of model. And there's a whole history behind that um, with Robert Rakes and the really early Sunday school, which is an excellent um, uh, really excellent ministry and it feeds into what we talked about last season at the Shock Absorber about evangelicalism and, and all of that. Um, but when we come with a schooling metaphor, uh, what we think the purpose of children's ministry is, uh, is to teach children. Um, and there's a whole lot of things we could talk about there. But from the question I was wondering with this guy as we were chatting was, what does that say about the adults in the room? And if I have a schooling metaphor, then if I'm the adult in the room, then I'm either a teacher or a classroom helper. But either way, the ministry is one directional. And it is just here I am as the expert or the helper in the room. And this is a ministry to children to help them, equip them to be disciples of Jesus um, and to teach them in age-appropriate ways what this passage means and, and to sing songs that are age-appropriate and to pray prayers that are age-appropriate. And it's all one directional. Uh, to the kids and it's not really for me. I'm doing this as a favour to them. I'm doing this as a leader. I'm, I'm ministering to them. Uh, all things that we would say and all good things. But it assumes that this program, this time is not for me, that I get no benefit out of this other than to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I think the danger is with that metaphor. One of the other metaphors that these authors talk about um, is called the fellow pilgrim metaphor. And this is when you come to do children's ministry, you're actually together wondering, how can we learn to be better disciples of Jesus today? Um, And I'm there in the room as someone who's wondering, how can I be a better disciple of Jesus today? Um, And the group of primary school kids or infant school kids or creche kids are sitting there wondering, how can I be a better disciple of Jesus today? And together as fellow pilgrims who both desire to know God more, love him more and follow him more each day, we're sitting under the word and going, how can we be better disciples of Jesus today? And what that does is it really shifts what's the purpose of the adult in the room. 
the adult in the room now is a fellow pilgrim with the kids. I'm no longer there as a ministry to kids. It now allows me to actually open up that space and say, actually, this is me churching with kids. Um, and what that looks like is, I think, that when we read the Bible, I'm asking myself, well, how does this apply to me? In the room, like with the kids, helping them. So I'm asking the young kids, uh, what do you see in this passage? What do I see in this passage? What do you see? And my voice is uh, in some ways a little bit more even than theirs. Now, I don't want to flatten it out completely. And some people take this metaphor and so de-emphasise the expert in the room that uh, the, the eight-year-old's opinion on that chapter is just as important as your opinion on the chapter. And I want to say, no, no, no. Ephesians 4 says really clearly, God equips the church with teachers, apostles, pastors, you know, uh, ministers, etc. Um, so there is a validity to the fact that I am someone who is theologically trained, has more life experience, has more experience with the Bible, um, has been a disciple for longer. I bring all of that into the room. So I am a more experienced pilgrim. Uh, and so it is, there's going to be times where I communicate that experience. Um, and so that's really significant. Um, but it also puts us both a little bit more even playing field in that also they might see things in the passage that I've never seen. And I'm alert to that. I, I walk in going, I wonder what little Liam is going to tell me or, or find in this passage. I wonder what you know, Carly is going to show me from this passage today. And I can learn from them. Now, what that, how this answers the question, am I missing church to go in children's ministry? Uh, no, I don't think we are if we think that if I go, as I go in and hang out with kids, I'm also with them praying, praising, opening the word, uh, forming disciples of Jesus, um, being formed as a disciple of Jesus, learning more from him. Uh, and so it's different in that I'm generationally outnumbered in that space than I might be in the other space. But there's no reason that that means that this ministry is not for me in some really significant and meaningful way. Um, and so that's the intergenerational piece. Yeah. Um, and that's why when we do, uh, I, wanna, I don't think we've done this well enough yet, um, at a, even at our church, let alone you know, spreading this beyond. But to help people capture that vision of what it means to actually be on Kids Chill, or to join a teaching team, or to uh, whatever it is, look like in your particular church. If we captured that imagination, when we, uh, I don't think anyone would say, oh, it's just babysitting, or well, very few people would say it's babysitting, but even to say, well, this is a ministry to children, it's like, no, 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 this is a ministry we with. get to do together. Yeah. With. Um, with kids. Mm. Um, and just because you're generationally outnumbered doesn't mean that is not also for you and that you also can't be fed spiritually, grow as a disciple of Jesus, be challenged and equipped, um, be challenged in your own life as a disciple. Um, all of those things can happen uh, in a space which is child-oriented um, because we do believe they are disciples, we do believe they have living faith, they are brothers and sisters and they can minister to me and speak to me as well as me pass on to them. Yeah, I love it. and I think that's what Jacob's doing. For example, asking about talking to the girls about how he could improve his talks. Like, I think that's exactly what you're doing, and I think good on you for doing that. And I think it's been a really cool example. I think it's, we should probably leave it there in terms of the whole episode. But I've genuinely really enjoyed this discussion, and I've learned a lot doing it myself. But I suppose as a parent, I just want to thank you guys for serving 
my children and also uh, other children at this church because I think it, it's a it's having a real impact on on their lives and I think it's really important. I mean, week away was a perfect example of that of how which we just finished, but how the like I barely saw my children because <laughs> they were too busy <laughs> spending time with the other kids, but mm. also. Uh, that was preceded by a really strong teaching time, doing exactly what you're saying, Tim, and then also hangout time, hanging out, building relationship with them. And now Remy, my youngest daughter, she's just about to turn two, and because um, she was born during COVID, she sometimes gets a bit overwhelmed with large groups and stuff like that. She now doesn't want to leave church, and she's like, church church when you're leaving and stuff like that which like it built up over like week away and then um now she started to stay in the kids time and and all those kind of things so it's just lovely i think it's lovely how if we have the that vision and that that we're doing ministry with children not just for them or at them i think it has a huge impact as we said already on their faith journey and i think it's a really really important way to to look at it so thank you for continuing yeah. to enlighten me and i hope hope people who are listening really enlightened by it as well um uh if you are interested in kids ministry children's ministry not doing anything at the moment come and talk to tim myself jacob any of the pastors um we'd really be keen to get you on the team and to to serve with um everyone else who is, is working on that if uh, that's is is if you are at soul revival church if you're not from soul revival church get in touch via our website and, we, and we'll sure surely tim would love to talk to you more absolutely because he is very well trained in talking about those things that reminds me um there is an open day for YouthWorks college that i may as well plug while i'm here because plug away my principal told me i should not, <laughs> okay. not for the podcast just that i should plug it to people yeah um but yeah there is an open day for youth works college if you want to come and learn the some more uh theological concepts and um yeah some reasons for um yeah getting more uh education in bringing up our kids just looking for the date for that tuesday the 30th of august there you are. There you go. You can go check that out. Yeah. That's, on, that's on the YouthWorks website as well, youthworkscollege.edu.au, so you can check that out as well. Yeah. Um, boys, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, really, mate. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for being on the Chip Lunch podcast. We'll be back again next week with one of our uh, children's leaders, Amy Jamison. She's coming on. So we'll be, Wonderful. We'll be keeping, keeping in the, story. the children's ministry and go to hear her story herself. So Wonderful. thank you again, boys. And uh, we'll wrap it up there with, uh, as always, Bye-bye. One Way. Bye.